So talking of winners, my parents are the senior pastors here at Harvest Church, and they are also adventurers. These guys are crazy adventurers, and they are currently in Uzbekistan, or they might have left Uzbekistan. Tajikistan, they are now in, thank you. And they are driving from London to Mongolia as part of a charity rally. And my mom is writing some amazing blog posts. She's taking some amazing photographs of their travels. Um, and I keep offering to read them to my children, her grandchildren. They're not bothered. They just want to know, has Granny won the Mongol rally yet? Is she a winner? Have they won it? If they haven't won it, they're not interested. But this morning, it's OK. We're all winners. We're all still here. And you know, the last thing that she said to me before she got in the car and drove off on this rally. She, she looked at the car, she looked at my dad, she looked at me, and she said, I wish I had gotten the rabies jab. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, Mom, Dad's not that bad. And I don't think he's going to bite you. It's going to be OK. But it did remind me of a time that I had the rabies jab. I was uh, 16 years old, and I had decided quite last minute to join a missionary trip to Uganda, Africa. And because I joined it last minute, there wasn't enough time to get the two shots of rabies in, the two-course injection cycle that I needed to have before I left for Africa. The second injection was due on the day that I was meant to be flying. And I had a very early flight. The surgery wouldn't have been open. But my mom, being an entrepreneur, an adventurer, and also a very good nurse, volunteered to administer the shot on the behalf of the doctors. So she, uh, she took the vial of the little bottle of rabies medicine, and she got a needle, and off we went to the airport. And so I find myself sat on a bank of chairs in front of security, 16 years old, it's early in the morning, and my mom is unzipping this ice bag, and out comes this little bottle. And out comes this needle, and towards me comes my mother. And she rolls my sleeves up, and she says, OK, honey, three, two. But by the time she got to two, something like, I don't know, it must have been like a prime urge just rose up within me that this was very wrong. <laughs> my mother is supposed to be the source of my comfort. You know, she's meant to cuddle me when I'm poorly. She's meant to put plasters on things that hurt. She is not meant to stab me with a sharp object and administer a lethal, life-threatening disease into my arm. And by the time she got to one, I was up. I was out of that chair, and I was running. It's kind of like hide-and-seek. You know, somebody closes their eyes, they count down from 10, and everybody else runs and hides. Well, that was the kind of counting my body thought she was doing. So by the time she got to one, I was out of the chair. And then we kind of had this comedy scene where I'm like running around the chairs like this, and my mom's like chasing me with a needle, and like everyone else in the airport is like mouths open, what is going on here? And uh, eventually she settles me down, she gets me sat back in the chair again, and she says, okay, let's try that again, Karis. Three, two, and she just shoved in on two. She didn't even let me get to one in case I ran again. But you see, I couldn't get on that plane, and I couldn't be part of the trip until I'd had that injection. And she understood that, and she knew it was for my better good that I had that shot. You know, this chapter in Joshua 5 is a lot like that scenario. 
It's an uncomfortable chapter. For some of you, it might even feel a little bit wrong. But unless we really open up this chapter and explore it, we cannot move on to what God has got for us next. And there is so much winning material in this chapter that it's spilling out of me. I can't wait to share it with you this morning. And this chapter, chapter five, is the chapter all about circumcision. There you go. I said it. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, you might be able to guess by the fact that most of the men in the room have subconsciously crossed their legs. They're wincing a little bit. And if you still have no idea what I'm talking about, you can Google it on your own time. But it's a bit like that injection shot at the airport. We can't skip it. We've just got to rip right into it, okay? So I need you guys to give me a countdown. We're going to put the passage on the screen. You're going to count me down from three, and I'm just going to go on two. Are you ready? We're going to put the passage on the screen. You can count me down. Ready? Three, two, one. The kings of the Amorites who lived in the hills west of the Jordan and the kings of the Canaanite cities on the plain by the sea heard how the Eternal One had dried up the waters of the Jordan so that the Israelites could cross. They were alarmed and their courage failed them at the thought of the advancing Israelites. At that time, the Eternal One commanded Joshua to make flint knives and reinstate the rite of circumcision for the male Israelites. So, Joshua made flint knives, as he was told to do, and the Israelite males were circumcised at Gilbeath Hadaloth, literally, Hill of Foreskins. This is because all of the male Israelites who had fled from Egypt and all their soldiers who had fought so bravely had been circumcised, but they had died on the long journey. And those who had been born during the journey had not yet been circumcised. The Israelites, this is a bit of a backstory for those of you that have missed the start of the series. The Israelites had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And because they would not listen to the voice of the Eternal, God promised that none of the original community would live to enter the land he promised to their ancestors. A land flowing with milk and honey. It was their children and their grandchildren whom he raised up to receive that land instead. Joshua circumcised these sons and these grandsons now because it had not been done previously. When they had all been circumcised, they remained in the camp until their wounds were healed. And it was here where they had piled up the stones that the Eternal spoke to Joshua. And the Eternal One said, On this day I have rolled away from you the shame of Egypt. And the place is called Gilgal which means circle of stones, even today. While the Israelites were encamped at Gilgal on the desert plain east of Jericho, they celebrated their first Passover on the evening of the 14th of the month in the land that the Lord had promised them. And the next day, they ate some of the produce of the land, roasted grain and flatbread. Beginning after that Passover, the Israelites were no longer fed with the manna as they were in the desert. And from that day, they ate from the new land and the manna ceased. And from then on, they ate only the crops of the land of Canaan. Amen? Why don't we stand and pray? God, thank you that you're here with us this morning. We believe that you're real, and we believe that your word speaks to us outside of time. And the things that we read in this passage are relevant to our lives today. God, open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears, that each and every one of us today would receive a living word from you that would change us, that would help us be winners, that would help us persevere in life and be the conquerors that you always intended us to be. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. Amen. So my message today is called, It's About Time. It's About Time. I found in my life as a Christian and as a follower of God that accepting, that understanding, and that even embracing the timing of God is a huge part of being a winner that stays on rather than switches off when life stops making sense or when God speaks to you something that doesn't seem to be in the right time that you expected. And I'm sure so many of you can agree with me that often God's timing can seem a little bit strange. And in this story, God's timing could even be described as terrible. Terrible, terrible timing. You know, as I look back through my life following God, I can find so many examples of times when God says something to me, and my first response has been, why now? God, why now? For instance, why now? Why, God? Is now the time that you want me to get married? Because it's like three weeks before my final exams. That makes no sense. Or later on, why now, God? Why can't I be pregnant in the time that I want to be? Why are you making me wait so long, God? Why? Why now? Or, God, why now has our house sale fallen through weeks before we're meant to be selling and moving out of our flat? We thought you gave us this house. What's going on? Why has it happened now? Or, God, why are you calling me to resign from the job that I haven't even started? I've worked so hard all year to win this job. I finally got it. Why now are you asking me to quit before day one of my employment even starts? Or before that, why, God, are you making me redundant when I've got two small children and a bigger mortgage to pay than we ever really realized? Why, God, why now are you speaking these things to me that make absolutely no sense? God called our family to go and spend a month living in Colombia. And my first response was, God, why now the children are so little that they can't not drink the bathwater? And everybody knows what happens when you drink the bathwater in Colombia, right? It's like, could you not wait till the kids were a bit bigger and we could put them in the shower? Why now? I'm sure you've got loads of examples of your own why now questions. But one thing I can encourage you with this morning is if God speaks something to you and your first response is, why now? then it probably is God speaking, and this message is going to help you this morning figure out how to respond to God in those moments. Now, like I already told you, my parents are adventurers, which meant that as a child, I spent a lot of time camping in the foothills of the mountains of Wales. So I grew up camping, and then I married Ben. And my parents thought a fantastic joint Christmas present for both of us as newly married people would be a tent. Not just a tent, a four-man tent, camping tables, camping chairs, what else do you camp with? Camping stoves, camping cups, camping knives, sporks, you know, those like very useful implements that can do knifing and forking and spooning all in one. What else? Sleeping bag, you know, everything. They bought us everything that we would ever need to go camping. And we've been married now 11 years, and the amount of times we've been camping is a grand total of zero. <laughs> we have never even gotten that tent out of the bag. We've used the other stuff, but we have yet to go camping in our tent. So for me to imagine the Israelites camping 
on the other side of the Jericho River is a bit of a, is a sorry, the Jordan River is a bit of a kind of a stretch for me. For some of you, it might be an easier place to put yourself. But if you can, I would like you to imagine yourself walking in the camp with the Israelites. You know, they've just crossed the Jordan, and God has dried it up, and all of them have crossed. I mean, we're talking probably, they reckon, about 2.5 million Israelites at this stage in the game crossed a river that was too deep for them. And Steve told us about it last week. You know, he, God rolled the waters back, reminiscent of the way he did at the Red Sea, and they all passed through. Now, if we know that this is a young generation. The parents, the wilderness generation, they, they died in the desert. And this is a young army that have seen God move and do an amazing thing. So if you were one of those guys in the camp, I, bet, I reckon that your, you know, your adrenaline would be running quite high. You'd be feeling like pumped, like, yes, God's on our side. God's doing miracles. He's with Joshua just like he was with Moses. You know, they've already sent the spies to scope out Jericho. So everybody knows that the first target is Jericho, that massive, big, fortified city. It's coming down. They're feeling excited. There is momentum. They've got focus. They're feeling fresh. They're feeling ready. They've got their swords in their hands. And the word comes out from the Lord through Joshua, guys, put down your swords. There is going to be some slicing, but it is not the type that you anticipated. It's time to be circumcised. I mean, Come on, if you were one of those young men, you'd be like, Joshua, that sucks, your timing sucks, that's terrible. Why would you kill this momentum? We've got focus, we're going places, we know what we're doing, we've got energy, we're excited. Why are you taking us out of the game zone and putting us into the pain zone? It is not a place that they wanted to be, and it didn't seem to make any sense. But it's in this place, in this time, that God is saying to them, lean on me. And that's my first point if you're taking notes this morning. Lean on me. It's time. It's time to lean. It's time to lean on me. You know, God chose that moment to put them in a very physically weak and vulnerable place. That moment, right before battle, he chose it as the time to put them back through the circumcision ritual. You know, God was putting them in a powerless place. He was putting the Israelites in a vulnerable place, in a place of weakness, in a place of difficulty, in a place where they had to remember where their strength came from. Because in that moment, they remembered that their strength came from the Lord, that they couldn't take Jericho in their own strength. They instead had to rely on the supernatural strength and rely on the supernatural power of their God. There might have been momentum, there might have been adrenaline in the natural, but before a single city was captured in Canaan, before a single battle was fought in the promised land, God is reminding them right from the get-go that it's his strength that will propel them through the victory. It is his strength that will take them into a place of conquest. And through this process, God is forming in the Israelites the character of conquerors that start at the foot of the cross, that remember where their strength comes from, that remember who it is that guides them and leads them and equips them. You know, today, if there are things in your heart that God has put there for you to do, 
or if there are dreams that you need to get through, get through the door into your dreams, and the doors aren't opening, the things aren't happening, today might be the day where God is saying to you, hey, it's okay, you can stop pushing them in your own strength. You can stop trying to find different angles to make this happen. You can stop trying to engineer your circumstances to achieve this thing, because today is the day where God might be pulling you back into the lean. Stop pushing things in your own strength and start pushing in, in prayer and in God's strength instead. And here's kind of the first big reveal of my message, okay? If you're not taking notes, this is the moment where I expect to hear you all scrabbling for like a biro or an old receipt or asking your friend if they've got a pen or getting your phone out because this is the first key thought that I really would love to share with you this morning that God put on my heart from this passage. Your purpose in God is more about the lean than it is about the dream. I'm going to say that again because it's so important and it's really challenged me because God wants us to learn to lean on him even more than he wants us to achieve our dreams. Your purpose in God is more about the lean than it is about the dream. God wants you to rely on him more than he wants you to achieve things in your own strength. You know, there's one way that I can help you remember this, and it's going to be a stand to your feet kind of way. So stand up. Stand up. Come on, you guys. Stand up. Okay, make sure you're stood next to someone who, like, you're vaguely comfortable with. And we're going to do some leaning. We're going to do some leaning. Okay, take it in turns. I want you to lean. Do some leaning. Take each other's weight. Lean to the right. You can lean to the left. Feel the shift. That's right, we've got some leaning going on. We're leaning. We are leaning. Some of you look too comfortable. All right, find your own two feet again. Why don't you say this with me, okay? We're going to say what's on the screen, but we're going to make it about us. So we're going to say, my, my purpose. My purpose in God is more about the lean than it is about the dream. Amen. Thank you. You can take a seat again. I hope you remember that. Next time you feel like you've got momentum going, do you make sure that you are leaning on God and not pushing things in your own strength? The second thing that God says in this passage is, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. And no... I am not going to sing Disney Frozen at you, which, wow, mixed response there. Some people are like, yes. Other people are like, oh, T sing it. No, today it's not going to happen. Next Family Fun Day, oh, I shall be returning with a rendition. It's time to let it go. Because you see, what circumcision is really all about is the heart. It's really all about the heart. Here's how God described it to his people through their previous leader, Moses. I'm going to put it up on screen. It's a passage from Deuteronomy, and it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. It's really all about 
the heart. Now, the physical act of circumcision represents something that's happening on the inside of the Israelites' hearts. It's the sign. It's the sign of the promise that God gave the Israelites to establish his people in their own land. And the outside response to God through the act of circumcision really represents a heart response to God. And it's a sign that the Israelites are saying to God, we will love you fully with all of our hearts. We will serve you fully with all of our hearts, with all of our lives on the outside, but most importantly, on the inside. And yet here we are in Joshua 5, and we have a generation who's been born in the wilderness, who've grown up under parents, who've all died now. They're standing with Joshua at the beginning of their advance into the land that God has always promised them, and they don't actually carry the mark of the promise. They're uncircumcised, and they don't carry that physical sign, and they haven't had the opportunity to live a heart response that says, we're all for you, God, just as you are all for us. And God sees everything, you know? God sees them. He sees their place in time. He sees their place in his history. And if you remember, at the start of our Joshua series, Ben described the way that uh, God took Joshua up Mount Nebo, and he had an amazing view of all of Canaan spread out before him, the mountains, the valleys, the highs, the lows, the challenges, the opportunities for conquest. He saw all of that with God, and he saw it through God's eye. But the rest of the Israelites didn't get an opportunity to see that. They had to rely on Joshua imparting that to them. But in this moment of circumcision, it's their opportunity to become part of that vision. Because God's saying, look, guys, I can see all of that. I can see the challenges that are facing you, but I can see the conquest. I can see the places you're going to have victory. I can see the people you're going to conquer. I can see the land you're going to get. I can see the fruit you're going to have. And I can give you all of that, but only if you first give me all of this, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your thoughts, all of your expectations, all of your minds, all of your expectations, attitudes, opportunities, all of this has to be given to me first. I can give you all of that, but first, you have to give me all of this. And God still says the same thing to us today. You know, look out the windows. Look at the city around us. Think about your families, your friends, your colleagues, your finances, your relationships, your lives, your plans, your future. God can give you All of that. He can make you a conqueror in all of those areas of your life. He can help you win in every single part of your life and your mind and your thoughts and your heart. But first, you have to give God all of this, everything that's going on inside of you. You know, and it was the Israelites' moment in chapter 5 to give them their whole selves to God in a fresh way. And today, we have that same fresh opportunity to give ourselves to God in a new way. And you know, this morning... You have to be honest with yourself. And I had to be honest with myself when I was preparing this message because so often we can kind of gloss over this, oh yeah, I gave God my life, I gave God my heart, God's the king of my life. But God doesn't stop there. Who knows that there's always another level with God? Who knows you can always go deeper with God in your understanding and your offering to him? You know, we talk so much about the Christian life being like an onion, not like an ogre, but like an onion. And there are layers to our relationship with God. There is always something fresh, always something different, different, always something new. And as we experience life, we pick up fresh hurts, fresh difficulties, 
fresh disappointments. It's not a one, you know, salvation isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. It's the beginning. It's the door into something. And it's your responsibility to be honest with God about your heart before him. It's a week-by-week thing. Every Sunday, you'll hear the same message. Put yourself right with God. Give your heart to God afresh. You need to walk it every day in your own life, in your own devotionals with God. Every moment, trust me, I'm a mother. There are many moments where you have to give your heart to God again and say, oh, no, I got it wrong again. God, please help me not shout at my children this time. Next time, God, you can help me. There's every opportunity every day to give something new to God, something deeper to God, something better to God from your life, your heart, your attitudes, and your thoughts. And the third thing that God says to the Israelites is, today it's time to unlock a level. It's time to unlock a level. A couple of years ago, my younger sister, who is much more fun and cool than me, decided that she would book a birthday experience for her husband, Doug, and she invited me and Ben to come with them. And we did this like escape rooms experience. Have you guys heard of the escape rooms? Anybody heard of them? Well, in case you don't know what they are, it's like a place in, they've got them everywhere, but this one was in the city center in Newcastle. And it's like a challenge room. Um, And you go into the room, uh, and it's themed. And the theme we had was kind of like, I think it was like Knights Templar type thing, wasn't it? Like medieval knights. And you go into this room, and there are a series of clues, each fiendishly more clever than the last. And you have to solve them. And when you've solved all the clues, and you found all the clues, and you've solved all the clues, it unlocks a key. And that key is the key to the next room, the next door, and, and so on and so forth. And you kind of move through these escape rooms, solving these clues, putting things right, finding another clue, solving it. And eventually, you get a key to unlock the next level. It was really fun. We had a great time. I'd recommend it. In the spiritual dimension, something similar happens. You know, we often have what we call arguments against us in the spiritual dimension. And these these are things that the enemy will use to kind of lock us out of the next level, to block us, to stop us from winning. The enemy will use these arguments to hold us back, to make us feel frustrated, um, to make us feel angry, to make us feel like we're failing. And the Bible's word for that kind of argument is a curse. I think Pastor Clive's spoken about this a few times. There's a podcast we can send out where he explained this really well to us. And curses can come from um, sins in our life that we haven't confessed, or they can come from negative words, words that people might have spoken over us and about us. And so often, negative words that we speak over ourselves and we don't challenge and we let go around our own minds. Sometimes a curse can come from like a family issue that maybe keeps coming back generation after generation. The same thing can keep bothering the same kind of family line over and over again. And you know, in the escape rooms, Lily, Doug, Ben and I had to solve every clue in one room before we could unlock the next room and move on to the next level. And in the book of Joshua, it's like God wants to deal with this argument that stood against the Israelite people so that they could move on to the next level, the next conquest, the next opportunity in God. Because the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5 were existing outside of the law that God had given the people through Moses. And in that law, Israelites, the Israelites, the male Israelites, were supposed to be circumcised at eight 
days old. It was very specific. At eight days old, your parents were meant to bring you before the Lord and circumcise you. And that was the way that God set it up. And yet years and years have passed by. And the previous generation didn't circumcise their children. And these children now, through absolutely no fault of their own, it wasn't their fault, but they end up in a situation where they can't move on and conquer until this spiritual argument is made right. You know, and here's kind of my second big thought, really, of the message. So if you've got that biro and that receipt still, this is worth scribbling down because many, many years have passed since this argument should have been cancelled against them. But God doesn't let them pass by. God doesn't skip over them. God doesn't wash his hands of them. God still wants to put it right because with God, it is better late than never and it is never too late. With God, it is better late than never, and it is never too late. So if you feel like you've been struggling with issues in your life for years and years, and maybe God is just never going to help you out of this one, that's not true. This morning, I can confidently encourage you that it is better late than never, and with God, it is never too late. Why don't you say that with me? With God, it is better late than never, and it is never too late. There is nothing that God can't do in your life, and there is no time that he cannot do it. And God continues today to give us opportunities to put things right in that spiritual dimension and to walk out of curse, walk out of frustration, walk out of difficulty, and instead walk into a place of conquest and victory and freedom. I'm going to tell you a story about um, my family and about Ben in particular. Um, he has okayed me sharing this story with you. And it really illustrates us walking through that process in our own family. So at the G12 conference in London, Pastor Caesar shared a word that he's um, been speaking a lot recently about how he dedicated a time in his life, I think it was about seven months, uh, to come before God every morning and say, God, show me the spiritual arguments that are operating against me. Show me the things in my life, whether or not they're there by my own fault. Show them to me so that I can put them right because I want to walk on in victory and win through to the next level that you've got for me. So Ben was really inspired by this, and after the conference, he decided one Monday morning, with all the fresh enthusiasm of a man who's had a good night's sleep, that he is going to put himself before God in the same way. So he described it as um, kind of praying um, and imagining himself at the kind of the foot of the cross. And he asked God to reveal to him every area of curse that needed to be cancelled out, that needed to be made right, and that needed to be absorbed by Jesus' blood at the cross. And he'd at that time been feeling under a, quite a, a particular kind of mental and spiritual pressure in his life. And he kind of sensed that there was something operating in the spiritual dimension against him that was stopping him being able to walk into the next stage of our lives that God had for us. Now, he told me about this on Monday morning because he was excited. He was feeling good about it. He had the adrenaline. He had some momentum. But what started out as a really exciting spiritual adventure had completely spiraled out of control by Wednesday, would you say? I would say by Wednesday, things were looking pretty hairy in the Doherty household. And if you fast forward a few more days to Sunday, we were in a really, really desperate way. We were like on the floor. We were wiped out. We'd had the kind of week where 
I mean, we'll have to write a book about it one day. It was just dreadful. And we had seen the most awful kind of behaviors coming out of, well, frankly, all of us, not just the kids. We'd all just had one of those weeks where we're like, God, what is going on? And that Sunday morning before the meeting, we were at home, and Ben was feeling frustrated and tired um, and angry and confused and just frankly fed up. And we looked at each other, and we were like, we had no idea how we were going to make it to the meeting that morning. This was quite recently. You're all racking your brains now. Which morning did they look really bad? What was the morning where they hadn't done their hair? What was the morning where they all looked angry? But you know, on that Sunday morning, that place of desperation, where we, we were just like, God, what's happening? Why now? I said, hey, Benj, you know what? I thank God. I thank God heard your prayer on Monday morning. And like the light bulb came on for us. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like in that moment, we had a clarity in the spirit and we started to piece the week back together. The things that had seemed so terrible and so random, they all started to make sense to us. And we realized that Ben and Leo in particular had really experienced kind of a physical effect and kind of demonstrated the behaviors that come from a curse, a spiritual curse. And in, on that Sunday morning, we felt God reveal to us in that moment exactly what that curse was, what the word was that had been spoken um, over Ben, where the situation had come from. And right then we stopped, we dropped everything, and we just prayed. We took it to the cross. We prayed the blood of Jesus. We prayed for his mercy. We prayed for his forgiveness. We prayed that he would cancel this in our lives. We lifted up our family and our children before him, and we did everything we could in prayer to cancel that negative curse, that argument over us in the spirit. And, you know, we felt, we really did feel a lifting, didn't we? We felt a lifting of pressure. It was like where we couldn't even sit up. Suddenly, we could stand again. And it was like coming out of a fog. And there was a change in the atmosphere in our house, like almost instantaneously. And since then, uh, Ben's felt a real release in so many areas of his um, life, really. And there's been a returning of a focus to our family um, and amazingly, within a week of that situation, I think we counted out, it was about four days of that um, prayer that we made, that cancelling of that curse. We felt God speak to us about something totally new, totally different, something that we totally hadn't expected. And he um, opened a door into a whole new way of doing things for our family, a different kind of living and a new level and a different level that we never expected with a kind of a grace and an ease that showed us that God's hand was on us. And you know, for the Israelites, God is doing the same thing for them there through circumcision at that place where the stones were. Before they could conquer, before they could move on, before they could be the people of God that took the promised land, God had to shift something in the spiritual dimension that was operating against them. He had to cancel an argument that the enemy had against them. And he didn't just, this is the bit that I love, he didn't just remove the curse over the Israelites of being outside of the law, of not being circumcised. But the passage tells us that he also rolled away the shame of Egypt. He, rolled, he said, today I have rolled away from you the reproach, some passages say, the shame of the Egyptians. And I was kind of praying about what this meant and what this could mean for us today. And you know, for, for the Israelites, I think there was a shame that settled on their lives from being trapped 
as slaves to the Egyptians. And they've carried that shamefulness, those degrading thoughts, those feelings of being frustrated and trapped and helpless and hopeless and useless and not fulfilling their purpose in God. And you know, God crucially understood that in order to conquer, the Israelites needed to be free, not just of the curse, but also of all of the kind of oppression that came with the association of that curse, with all the kind of mental thoughts that oppress them as well, attached to that curse. Because God doesn't just remove the curses from our lives, but he also removes the shame of being trapped by the curses. I don't know about you, but if you've ever found yourself stuck in a cycle in your life of sin or of difficulty, of challenge, you also get invaded by feelings of being inadequate because of that issue that you're struggling with. And you whisper words to yourself like, I am so useless. I am so pathetic. I'm so trapped. I'm so weak that I can't change this. I'm so helpless. I can't believe that here I am again, having promised God in the meeting last Sunday that I would change and that he would help me. Here I am again. What kind of a pathetic excuse of a Christian am I? I can't even get any freedom in this area. Has that ever resonated with anyone here? Have you ever felt like that? But in this passage, we see that God doesn't just free them from the curse. He frees them from the oppression of those thoughts, the negativity of that identity that goes as well. And God says, today is the day that you become my people again. You are free from the curse and you are free from the shame of being associated with the culture that enslaved you. Today, you are free and free indeed. And I guess that's my final kind of big thought, my final big reveal, my final thing to scribble down on your bit of paper is that that so often God has to unlock us before he can unlock the next level. God has to unlock us before he can unlock the next level. God has to unlock you from the curses, from the issues, from the difficulties, from the patterns that are oppressing you and the thoughts that are holding you back in your life before you can experience the freedom that you need to be a conqueror, to be conquerors, to be a conqueror, to win through in life. You have to experience that inner freedom from all of the things that would hold you back. And you know, in Joshua chapter 5, God unlocks the next level in a really, really powerful way. Because the next thing that happens after God makes this spiritual argument right against them is that they celebrate the Passover. They have the festival of freedom. They have a freedom party like no other party before because this freedom party takes place in the land of freedom. This is the party that takes place in the place of of the promise. And from that day, the manna that they were fed in the wilderness stops, and they eat from the produce of Canaan. That is so significant. That is so important. Because what that tells us today is that when God sets us free from curse, from difficulty, when God calls us to be conquerors, our source of sustenance has to switch from the past and into the promise. If you're going to be a conqueror in your life, you can't go back to the things of your past that fed you and that sustained you. You have to be somebody that eats from the things of the promise, from the blessing of God, from the future that God has for you, from the good things, the good spiritual sources in your life that God has for you. And it's a powerful reminder as well, isn't it, to each and every one of us that when the timing of God seems scary, 
when God seems to be stirring you up to change your heart, to change your life, to unlock another level, when that timing seems scary, you don't have to freak out because God will provide. God will sustain you. God will give you the resources that you need to conquer the ground that he is giving you. God will provide for you out of the promise that he has for each and every one of us, out of the promise that he has for your lives and your lives. You know, it didn't make sense to start with when the call came out to be circumcised, but God's timing is always perfect. And God's timing today is perfect too. And you know, right now, as part of the leadership team here at Harvest and part of the group of people that we are together, it feels like God is stirring us up for conquest. It feels like God is longing to unlock another level to us as a church. It feels like things are changing and that God is on the move and he wants to take us with him. And sometimes that can seem scary, but this morning I can confidently tell you that God's timing is perfect. So if this message is spoken to you, if you want to take some more ground in your life, if you want to go deeper with God in your relationship, if you want to let go of all the things that have been holding you back, if you want to even let go of the why now question and accept God's perfect timing in your life, I'd invite you to stand with me and we're going to make a declaration together and we're going to pray that God does something in our lives today that unlocks us and that unlocks another level not just, not just individually, but together as a church. This is, the Israelites did this together. It wasn't just Joshua's dream. It was in this moment a dream that everybody had to get involved in. This was the moment where all the Israelites could say, we're going to join you in the promise. We're going to all together step into the promise of God. It happened to each and every one of them in that moment. And today, that's what God's asking us to do as well. Can we come together and can we all take that step together to unlock the next level that God has for us. Let's pray, and then there's, I'm going to put a declaration up on the screen to finish with that we can all kind of speak out. And I'd encourage you to keep speaking it out every day this week. Why don't you try it? Say it's part of your devotional every week and see what God will unlock in your life. Thank you, Father God. You know, in the prayer meeting this morning, Andy Barry shared a phrase that had been on his heart all week, that in our weakness, God is made stronger. Is that right, Andy? Is that the phrase that's on your heart? It was about our weakness being the time that God's strength can be shown. So, Father, we thank you that weakness isn't something to be looked down upon or be afraid of. Weakness is the exact place that you want us, because it's when we're vulnerable before you that you can show your strength. It's when we're honest before you that you can do a miracle in our hearts. It's when we let go of everything that you can truly transform us. And God, particularly in the area of curses and opposition that might be working against us in our lives, God, we ask you that you would take our church through a process of those being revealed to us 
and giving us the strength to combat them in the spirit, to conquer them in the spirit, to make things right with you in the spirit, God, because we long to be a church that walks into the next level, that unlocks the next thing that you have, not just for us, but for our city, not just for us, but for our friends and our family that don't know you, not just in our own lives, but Lord, for all that you would do through our lives and in the lives of others. God, we long to walk into that, but we recognize before you that we have to give you our whole lives. We have to give you our whole hearts. We have to give you our whole thoughts. And this morning, if you've got something that is bothering you, this is the time to give it to God. If there is a, if there is disappointment, if there is pain, if there is challenge in your life this morning, you can let it go and you can give it to God. If God's speaking something to you this morning and you've been saying, God, I don't think this feels like the right time. God, like why now? I don't think this is going to work. You can let that go this morning. And you say, God, I accept that your timing is perfect. If you've been feeling on the fringes of things, on the, am I, has God really got something for my life? Am I really meant to be part of something? This is the morning where you can step into that and say, yes, God has spoken to all of us together. And this is our morning to all get involved in the vision that he has for this church to reach those beyond its walls. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, your timing is perfect. And this is your time. This is your moment that you would do a deep work in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? Why don't you just put it in your own words? Give your life to God afresh in a new way this morning. God will put his finger now. If there's something that's, if there's like a splinter, if there's something that needs pulling out this morning, God will reveal it to you now. That's the thing that he wants from you this morning. God, take my heart, give it to you afresh. God, take it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, show us what it is. Give us the strength to let it go this morning. God, absorb every yes. And Father, we speak to every negative word every family issue, every cycle of sin, every pattern of futility, frustration, hopelessness, and all the associated feelings of shame that come with that. God, we lay them before you and we say, would you lift them from us? Would you absorb them by the power of the blood of Jesus? Would you bring a deep freedom to our lives in a new way this morning? God, would you cause that which has held us back for years to be broken off us? We believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. So we speak your name this morning with power to the issues in our lives and say, God, bring spiritual freedom in the name of Jesus. Would you break family curses? Would you break um, negative words? Would you break negative thought patterns? Would you break all the things, God, that are holding us back from the next level? God, would you bring us freedom this morning? In Jesus' name, would you be God that breaks the chains and sets the captives free this morning. And God, we speak to shame and we say, be rolled away from us this morning in the name of Jesus. That shame would be gone from every life, from every heart. God, every person here that's felt you 
useless or told themselves that they're pathetic. God, would you lift them up this morning and restore them? God, would you speak the opposite over them? God, where there's shame, would you speak blessing? Where there's rejection, would you speak acceptance? God, where there's um, futility, would you speak hope over our lives this morning? That we wouldn't be a generation that have been trapped and enslaved, but we would be a generation that is free to conquer and free to win the things of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we say this declaration together? It's going to come up on the screens. I depend on you because you have set me free from every curse that I can conquer. We'll put that up on everything we've got that's online. So everything, hot air balloons, airplanes streaming through the sky with this behind it and Facebook. And if you use that this week, I can guarantee you that God will do something deep in your life. If you want to talk to me and Ben more about our experience that we went through as a family recently and how we kind of conquered, we'd love to talk to you about it. Give me a wave if you're a city group leader. I've got a few of them here. Some of them are in kids' church. Talk to your city group leader. Be open. Put yourself in a vulnerable place with God and they can help you pray through these things so that we can be a church that unlocks the next level. Amen. And I will see you back here for part two of It's About Time. So do come back, because Joshua chapter five is so good. We're going to give it two weeks. Hmm? Three weeks, because the week after that ends. This is the best chapter ever. Chapter five is amazing. If you want to get a jump start on the next two messages, one from me, one from Antonia, read Joshua chapter five. And if you haven't been reading the Joshua story, you have to read it. It's so good. I know a couple of you have started reading it and it's really changing your lives, changing your thinking, changing your minds. Let's be the Joshua church this week. Amen.